Thank you, Stan. Good evening, everybody. It is so fun to be here tonight. And I just want to um, pray for us before we start. If you were here this morning, it is going to be a similar preach, but we pray that Jesus would reveal even more. Um, if you weren't here this morning, then we feel like you're not here by accident. So God has a plan and a purpose tonight and wants to speak to us. So I'm just going to pray and then we'll get started. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this incredible privilege to meet together to worship you. We thank you for how you're already speaking to us and we invite your presence to lead us and to guide us tonight. We love you, Lord. We love being with you. Just be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, guys, we've been on this journey as a church from the beginning of the year, and I did ask this this morning, so if you answer this morning, you can't answer tonight. What has been the theme from the beginning of the year? What have we been working towards? Someone can just shout it out. Taking ground. Thank you. Stan, you were here this morning. (laughs) Yes, we've been on a journey of taking ground. We've been on a journey of following the story of Joshua and the Israelites, of watching them walk into the promised land and learning how we as a people can also walk into the promised land that God has for us. And when the Israelites went into the promised land, they were not just a group of of random people. They were families. So there were mothers, there were fathers, there were children, and they were all learning to walk into their inheritance. And because they walked into their inheritance, this impacted for generations to come. So it is a generational thing for all of us to walk in the promises of God, to walk in his freedom, to walk in our inheritance. It's never just about us. It is always about the generations to come. It is always about God's plan that's been going since the beginning of time that we get to be a part of, and we get to be a part of passing on to the next generation. So that is why we want to focus on parenting today, because it is part of us as a community taking ground, taking ground for God. So Drew and I had the privilege of doing the GC Equip Parenting course, which was a lot of fun. And out of that came the book that we wrote called Heart Shaped Parenting. And it is a book that is not focused on controlled outward behavior, which we really love our children to have, um, but it is focused on training their hearts. Um, So parenting is not about controlled behavior, but it's about transformed hearts for Jesus. So it's about how to disciple your children into the inheritance that God has for them. And if we're going to shape their hearts, we need to first understand what's going on in their hearts. And we're going to do this by looking at the first family on earth, Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve had an unbroken union with their maker. And their call, their mandate was to fill the earth, to fill the whole world with God's image. And this was a terrible thing for Satan to imagine. So the image of God, the presence of God, has no space and no room for the enemy. It actually has no space and no room for lies. It has no space and no room for deceit. But that is our calling. That was Adam and Eve's mandate, is to fill the earth with his image. So the enemy had to act quickly before the two image bearers actually understood what they had. And as he used this perfect condition to plant a lie, he approached Eve And if you have your Bibles, Genesis 3 verse 1 says this. He said to the woman, did God actually say 
you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And as Eve opened her heart to that conversation, she allowed it to be loosened and tilled to hear the lie of the enemy. And two lies were planted. And we're going to look at them, Genesis 3, 4 to 5. So just a little bit further down. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So lie number one that Eve bought into is that she was incomplete. She was incomplete. How often do we feel incomplete? That we actually were missing out on something. She bought the lie that she is incomplete. And this led to the fear of unfulfillment in her life. Line number two that she bought into was, God is not trustworthy. And this is the lie of all lies. It is actually the foundational lie that underpins everything else, is that God is not trustworthy. He's holding out on you. There's something he doesn't want to give you. Maybe he wants to bless others, but not you. He's not trustworthy. And this led to the fear of trust. Sadly, Eve believed both lies and fear set in. So we can all relate to this in our own lives. When we take that step and begin to believe the lies, fear comes next. And they replaced the perfect relationship that they had with God for the idol the serpent offered. And that idol was the knowledge without the need of God. And an idol is just a God substitute. It can be absolutely anything, absolutely anything we use to get our needs met, to find fulfillment apart from God. And after that exchange happened, further lies in the form of ungodly thoughts watered those seeds of the two foundational lies. And they begin to think, we are shameful. We are naked. We should be afraid of God. We should actually, we should hide. Then destructive patterns began. Do you see the pattern? Destructive patterns followed next. They hid from God. They ran from him. And they shifted blame. And the tree of idolatry was in full bloom in their hearts. And we can see this scenario over and over again in the lives of people around us, but also in our own lives. We believe a lie, which leads to fear, which leads to an idol, followed by ungodly thoughts and destructive patterns in our lives. And the heart of the issue is actually idolatry. So when we allow something else to take the place of God in our lives, this pattern, this cycle begins. When lies and fears come, the question we need to ask ourselves is, will we turn to God to meet our needs, or will we go to an idol? And tonight, ask yourself the question, when lies and fears come, even as you're sitting here tonight, is there something that you are going to, to get your needs met, to get your fears, to get free from your fears, besides God? He wants to, he wants to set you free tonight. 1 John 5, 21 says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Okay. Drew's taken over now. That was the cue. That was the cue. <laughs> so when my children were, two, my first two were four and two years old, we had a couple of guys living with us named France and Timba. And uh, we were just learning about parenting, and Jonas was four years old, and he had just been taught by his mom how to use a pair of scissors. So 
when we found my pillowcase one afternoon that had been cut straight up the middle with a pair of scissors, we knew Jonas was probably to blame. So we called Jonas into my room, our room, and I, and I sat him on the end of the bed, and I said, Jonas, I'm going to ask you a question. If you tell me what really happened and are honest and tell me the truth, you will not get in trouble. If, however, you tell me a lie, you will definitely get in trouble. I said, do you understand? He says, yes, Dad. I said, okay. Did you take a pair of scissors and cut Dad's pillowcase? He says, no, Dad. I said, you, you, you didn't. He said, no, but you've just learned how to use scissors, and you've been using scissors, and it looks like your scissors have cut them. Nope, I didn't do it, Dad. I said, let me explain it again, son. If you tell me the truth, you will not get in trouble. But if you lie, you will definitely get in trouble. Did you cut the pillowcase? No, Dad. Well, if you didn't cut the pillowcase, who cut the pillowcase? Eden did. Eden, who's never seen a pair of scissors in her life. She's not even two yet. She's the one who came and cut the pillowcase. Yes, Dad, Eden did it. I said, okay, son, you just stay right here. I'm going to go get Eden. I went and I got Eden. And I set her down next to Jonas, the two of them. He's four years old. She's not even two yet looking at me. Eden, I'm going to ask you a question. If you tell me the truth, you will not get in trouble. But if you lie, you definitely will get in trouble. Do you understand? Yes, Dad. Eden, did you cut Dad's pillowcase with scissors? No, Dad. I said, Jonas? Eden says she didn't do it. She looks at, he looks at Eden. He's, his little brain's spinning. He says, oh. and I said, if Eden didn't do it and you didn't do it, I said, who did it? He says, France did it. France! 21-year-old France came into dad's room, took a pair of scissors and cut it. He says, yes, France did it. He looks at Eden. Eden says, France did it. I said, both of you say France did it. I said, just wait right here. I got France. And I brought France into the room and I set him next to the bed. There was Jonas. There's Eden, a little bit less. And then France, all on the end of my bed. And I said, France, I'm going to ask you a question. If you tell me the truth, you will not be in trouble. But if you lie, you will be in trouble. You understand? He says, yes. I said, France, did you cut my pillowcase with a pair of scissors? He says, no. I said, well, Jonas says that you did. He looks at Jonas. Jonas like, oh, no. And France says, Jonas, you said that? He's like, um. So then everything goes quiet. And we wait for Jonas. I said, Jonas, France didn't do it. Eden didn't do it. You say you didn't do it. How did it happen? And Jonas says, It did it by itself. (laughs) I said, the scissors went up my pillowcase all by themselves. Like, I'll buy that. (laughs) Francis is like, "Uh, I think I'm I'm out of this one. So I said, okay, Eden and France, you can go. Jonas, you're in trouble. That's a parenting story. I need my notes. I actually forgot them. Bringing them up. Got carried away. 
Megan was so mesmerizing, I was like just watching her and I've completely forgot. Yeah, yeah, marriage, marriage book is next, eh? Woo! <coughs> then, then <laughs> there's a lots of story with me on the end of the bed and Megan saying, Drew, if you tell me the truth, you'll be okay. If you lie, you are in big trouble. <coughs> That's where I got the idea. So there's some parenting lessons to be learned in that story. And the first is this. There's a difference between restlessness, recklessness, and rebellion when it comes to parenting. So in that scenario, Jonas with the scissors was reckless. But whenever he moved into a lie, he moved into rebellion. And here's the difference. Motives make the difference. In restlessness, the first category, it often comes from exhaustion or boredom or loneliness. Kids are just overworked. They're tired and they get too restless. And it looks like things like whining and nagging and getting attention through negative behavior. Meltdowns. You know what I'm talking about. Recklessness, the motive is curiosity or peer influence, indiscretion. They're just not thinking through their actions. So it's acting without regard for others. It's using thoughtless speech copying bad behavior from, fear, uh, from peers. Rebellion, however, is totally different. Rebellion, the motive is bitterness, control, or deception. And it looks like things like disobeying directly or subtly. It looks like delayed obedience. It looks like throwing tantrums in order to manipulate outcomes. That's called rebellion. And each of those scenarios need a different type of approach, a different way of thinking and acting. And in the first, restlessness, you want to adjust the circumstances. Sometimes the parents need to send the child for a nap. Or the parents need to change their situation. They're, you know, hauling the kids back and forth and all sorts of stuff where it's exhausting the children. Recklessness, you want to adjust the mindset. So Jonas... Scissors are not used for cutting pillowcases, and you might need to go through some scenarios with the scissors, and you might need to, you can take away some privileges or things like that, but you're adjusting the mindset. Rebellion, you want to adjust the heart, and that's what we're going for. And in the book, we discuss in more, lots more in-depth uh, around those things and give you some suggestions. But the second lesson we learned from that story is that good behavior was not the goal <clears throat> That shaping Jonas's heart, <clears throat> excuse me, is what we're after. As parents, we're never after behavior modification. We want to disciple and transform, thank you, we want to disciple and transform their heart because Jonas was caught in an Adam and Eve scenario. He was trying to cover up. <clears throat> I told him explicitly that he would not get in trouble if he would tell the truth. But he still decided to take his chances and lie. Somewhere along the line, Jonas had already bought into the lie and was being convinced that his failure was too much for mom and dad to handle and he needed to control it. He needed to enter into self-protection mode. There's a war that wages for the hearts of our children. And for your hearts as well, by the way. Satan attacks it with lies. Jesus, or God, encounters that, or counters that with truth. 
But not just any truth, not just with statements of truth, but actually with Jesus Christ as the truth. He counters it with Him, Christ. And I'm going to explain that in just a moment a little more. Our words and actions as parents, however, they reinforce one or the other. Either reinforce the lies or they reinforce that Jesus is the answer. In my years of ministry, <clears throat> and I've, I've probably, and I was trying to calculate, I was trying to think about all the different stories and all the different, particularly men that I've discipled and uh, listened to their story. It's, actually, it's got to be over 200. And I'm not quite sure how many, but there are many. And every time, what I've realized is that often the issues and often the struggles and the they can't get anywhere in life or the, the pain that they're feeling or the, the, the failures or the sin done against them or to them, often it boils down to five lies that they've believed. Satan pretty much works off of these five lies and he's been wreaking havoc in your own heart with these same lies, probably from the day you were born. Our job is, as parents is to rip those weeds, those lies out of the hearts of our children and plant Christ in there firmly so that he might fight for them and take the lies as the enemy comes with them. And here are the five lies. The first is that you are unwanted. It's the lie that you are unloved. This lie leads to a fear of being rejected. And it often manifests into idols. See, if you have a lie that you've believed and the fear that comes from it has to be alleviate, alleviated somehow and you have to take it somewhere, if you do not take it to God, you will always turn to an idol, a God substitute. The kind of God substitutes that we use when we feel unwanted and fear rejection are things like relationships, the idol of image or the idol of approval addiction. Don't think little carved images. No, idols are much more than that. That approval addiction, everybody's got to love me and like me because I feel unwanted and I fear rejection. The next lie is the lie that you are insignificant. It's the lie that you do not have purpose. And it leads to the fear of insignificance. Idols like power or superiority or success are the common ones. Got to achieve something and make sure everybody knows. It's the kind of subtle, even dominating in conversations all the time. It's always about you. You draw it back to you. It's somehow you trying to find significance in those moments and take the person in front of you and even use them for your idol worship. The, the, the fear, or sorry, the, the, the lie that you are a failure is the next one. It's a lie that you are shameful. It's not just the, the lie. It's not just the, the thought that I have failed. It's the lie that you are a failure. That you are shameful. How could you ever? And this one, often in environments where sin is done to us, this one speaks very, very loudly in our hearts and our minds. And it's the sin that we commit as well, that leads us to believe these things more and more. And we don't think of our sin now and our failure as simply something that's happened or mistakes. We all of a sudden internalize it. The enemy tells us, you are a failure. And from there, we cling to idols like performance. 
especially when we try to control everybody. All the idols of control are around this issue. You try to control others. You try and control yourself through perfectionism. Or you try and control your environment through certainty. You stop taking risks. You make sure everything's okay. The next lie is you are incomplete. It's the lie that you will never be fulfilled or whole. It leads you to the fear of unfulfillment and to idols like pleasure or wisdom. Education can often be what we need to make us feel complete or materialism is obvious. And then, as Megan said, the cornerstone lie. In fact, really the root of all sin is unbelief, and it's this lie that God cannot be trusted, that God cannot be trusted, that God is neither great or good. And this leads to a fear of trust, and it leads you to idols like independence, even in the wider scheme of things in the world, through to ideologies that leave God out of it and everybody working out things and ways around God into independence, self-protection. These are the lies that we struggle with and those are the fears that come and the idols that result. And out of those idols then come the ungodly thoughts which lead to destructive patterns. And if you have habitual sin, one of these lies is at the root of it, driving And what God would have you do is not simply try and chop away at that top part, not just try and deal with the apple and shine it up, the destructive pattern, but go to the root and apply Christ to the very lies at the heart of the issue. And this is what we're meant to do as parents. And the reason these lies are so believable is because they speak into the very longings of our hearts, the longings that God's actually placed in our hearts. We all have a longing to be loved, to be in a family, to be in a community. It's a longing placed there by God to draw us back to Him, back to that relationship that Adam and Eve lost in the garden. We have a longing for purpose. We want to make a meaningful contribution to the world and praise the Lord. That's what keeps us moving forward whenever we want to do that. But when we find it in Jesus, we start to really make the impact we're longing for. We find it outside. We hurt ourselves. We have a longing to do these things well, to do things well. We want to be a blessing to others. We don't want to fail everything we do. We want to bless people. We're made to be a blessing. It's the very, very essence of what God gave to humanity. You're going to be a blessing. And to Abraham, you're going to be a blessing. So we are meant to be blessings. We have a longing to be fulfilled, to be content, to be satisfied, to be whole, the way that we all know Jesus walked and that we were meant to have for our own lives. And we have a longing to believe, to be able to place our faith in someone, something bigger, better than ourselves, more reliable than ourselves, because we know ourselves all too well. There's got to be something more. We have a longing to trust. For Adam and Eve, those longings were fully met in God. He designed human beings in such a way that only He could meet those longings. God Himself, see His purpose, His blessing, His love, His wholeness, and His eternal. So the devil tells Eve that she could find those things outside of God, and the irony is that she already had them. She had them. And He comes and says, oh, but you're missing something. Oh, what? She lost the very thing that she thought she didn't have. 
That's the story of our sinful lives. And the Adam and Eve story plays out in our lives over and over and over again until we meet Jesus. Because Jesus is the answer to the lies. Jesus is the solution to every single lie. As much as uh, we be- truly believe parents make a- play a vital role and make a big difference, ultimately we are not the answer to the longings in our children's hearts. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. We're speaking about an intimate, life-giving relationship with Jesus. I'm not talking about the religion of Christianity. Religion is not the answer. Christ himself, an intimate relationship. The Bible says that when we receive receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we join him on this journey, on his journey for the world, his love. We become a part of him, and he comes by his Spirit and becomes a part of us, resides in us. (laughs) So if we look back at our verse that Megan quoted there at the end, 1 John 5, 21. Just turn there with me, 1 John 5, 21. It said that simple phrase, little children, keep yourself from idols. Little children, keep yourself from idols. I'm just going to help but think we've got a parenting issue ourselves that we're working through at the moment. I've lost my clicker, who was my, my wife, who's busy parenting. So that we can, here we go. I'm going to just put that verse up there. But if you want to look at the verses before, this is how we understand. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. In other words, if God is in your heart instead of the idol, from there the destructive patterns get cut off, and instead the fruit of the Spirit starts to come. But we're going to skip down a little bit for time. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And He, and we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Therefore, little children, keep yourself from idols. That's how we do it. We find ourselves in Jesus Christ. Jesus does not just come with truth. He doesn't just come with, here's a set of principles like every other religion does. He comes himself as truth. The Bible says this even more explicitly when it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ said those words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You cannot break the lies except in relationship, life-giving intimacy with Jesus Christ. God doesn't just replace the lies with good Christian principles. He replaces the lies with a relationship with Him. And He will fulfill those longings in your hearts and your children's hearts. He is the abundant life He promises them. You know when He says the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy? to rob you, but I've come to give you life and life abundantly. You know he's not saying I've come to give you all the idols you've ever craved. Pleasure and happiness and relationships and all these things that you're looking for to satisfy you besides me. That often gets preached as I'm going to give you all your idols. I'm going to give you your big house that you've been longing for. That's abundant life. 
I'm going to give you all that money you've been wanting for, all that materialism. God is not an idol giver. He doesn't come and give you your idols so that you can keep living in the lies. No, no, no. Abundant life is Jesus himself. And it comes with purpose. And some of you will go into a purpose in your life and your children will be raised for purpose. And you know, purpose isn't always the comfortable life that you've always dreamed of. I love it. The new generation is like, I want purpose in my life. Your God-given purpose might mean suffering. Your God-given, your children's God-given purpose. You say, I want the purpose for you. Their purpose might take them into the darkest places on this earth. It might even result in death. So everybody's saying, well, give me purpose. And God says, really? Because I made you for purpose. But it's my purpose. And in that is fulfillment. But it's not the fulfillment of the purpose that gives us meaning. It's walking with Jesus, the fulfillment himself that gives us meaning. And the purpose gets fulfilled, but that's not what gives us meaning. It's Jesus Christ in the completion of that purpose. It's Jesus that gives us the meaning. And your purpose might not even be completely fulfilled. Abraham didn't see all his purpose fulfilled. Moses, the list of all the people in Hebrews 11, they had to look forward and they had a purpose in God and they never saw it fulfilled. You might not see it fulfilled in this earth. So you're living for a purpose and you're trying to get your kids to live for purpose for their personal success or parenting them in the wrong way. And you've been living in the wrong way. And no wonder you keep feeling like a failure because you've totally assessed the wrong things. You keep thinking somehow that your purpose, once you've fulfilled this, then you've walked in it and then you'll not be a failure. When the greatest thing you could ever do you might have already done and the fulfillment is somewhere else in someplace else and in another generation. You never know. But it's Christ himself. In our children, Jesus in them is love. So here's the good tree. <clears throat> and at the bottom of the roots, if you can see that, foundational truth, number one, is that Jesus is love in them, which gives them faith for belonging. I do belong. You know, the Bible says God is love. He doesn't, he doesn't just come and give you love. He himself is love. It's his very essence. He's defined as love. To have Jesus is to have love. You cannot belong more than with Christ in you, and you are right in the trinity of love. The love trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, together loving each other in such a way. It's the ultimate family. It is the first family. Adam and Eve, the first on earth, and in all of eternity, the family of God. You belong to it because Christ is in you. Not just because he loved you, but because he is love himself in you, in relationship that love is complete. Jesus in your children is purpose. He doesn't just give them purpose. He becomes their purpose, as we've said. The foundational truth of being incomplete Jesus, or, or failure, Jesus in them is a, is victory. He is the success. He is the success. Christ in them. My children know a saying that was passed on from my grandfather, and I don't know if he made it up or where he got it from, from my grandfather to my father, father to me, and me to my children. It's a question. 
when they face difficulty, an exam, relational problems, whatever it might be, we ask them a question. It's the question, how tall are you? And now there's ne- always ever been one answer to that question that, that we give. My dad used to ask it to me. He dropped me off at primary school. We call it elementary school. I'd go off with my backpack. He'd roll down the window and he'd say, Drew, how tall are you? And I could only ever respond 10 feet tall. If I tried to give him my height in feet and inches, he would say, sorry, how tall are you? And I'd have to say, 10 feet tall, Dad. 10 feet tall. Since understanding these things, we've added something in our family to that question. So when I drop my kids off of school, I say, how tall are you? And they say, 10 feet tall. But it's important that they understand why. So I'll ask them, why? Why? And there's one answer that I'll accept. They respond, because Christ lives in me. Because Christ lives in me. That's why they are 10 feet tall. That's why they are not failures. Because Christ lives in them. It's not because they've done something amazing. It's not because they're capable. It's not because they're confident. Because of the conviction that Christ is in me. He's their X factor. He's the one. He is their victory. He is their fulfillment. He alone can complete them. He makes them whole. Jesus makes us whole. Nothing else. Jesus in them is truth. Freedom from lies is not found in the absence of lies, but in the presence of Jesus Christ. The lies are not going away, but it's Christ who's coming to stay. And that makes all the difference. And from there we can find God. Godly thoughts emerge in the fruit of the Spirit starts to populate our lives and the people around us. Megan, come on up here and finish this, please. Is everybody okay? You guys are quiet, hey? Okay. So the best thing that we can do as parents is to lead our children to Jesus as their source, as their everything. But we have to ask the question, if we want our children to know Jesus as the source, as the only one that can fulfill them and meet their needs, we have to ask the question, are we living as Jesus, as our source as well? How is your relationship with Jesus tonight? Do you trust him? Have you bought into a lie like Adam and Eve and tried to replace him with a God substitute without even realizing it? Do you trust him? Are you living with him as your source tonight? Consider also the influences in your, in your own life because this will greatly affect your children as well. So we've counseled many people who are negatively impacted by people that were brought into their home early on. Who are the people that are influencing you? Who are the people influencing your children? Being part of a life-giving community, having your children a part of kids, men, and youth group is essential for them having relationships that are godly relationships that will help them 
walk and what God has called them to. You'll also want to become a God-worshipping family. So our family does not want to miss out on worship times. This was not always a natural thing. So there were times when our kids did not want to be in worship or found it boring, or, but we persevered, trusting Jesus, that as they were with us and stayed with us, he would begin softening their hearts and that his presence was doing a work in them, no matter if they felt it or not. So be a worshiping family, value worship, and not just at church, be a worshiping family at home. Worship with your family, worship with your children. So the main aim of parenting is to lead our kids to Jesus, to let them know him fully as their source. It's not just to control outward behavior. We are going for a long-term goal. We're actually going for a generational goal. Our generational goal is that their hearts would be transformed for God and therefore their children's hearts would be transformed and it goes on and on. And if you're here tonight and you do not have children, the same thing applies. God wants to do a work in your heart that is a generational work, that the image that you carry will impact and affect others for generations to come, whether you have children or not. And our prayer is that you will join us in this journey towards the promised land for yourself and for your family. And entering the promised land, when we think about the children of Israel, was not always a very straightforward journey. They, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. They must have faced all sorts of doubts, even wanting to go back into slavery, back to where they were before. And as I, as I was praying tonight, I felt like I was, had two pictures tonight for us. The first one I felt like I had was a picture of people standing with chains around them. So they had chains around kind of their legs, their ankles, their their arms, and they felt that they couldn't move. And the second picture was um, a picture of people. So if you guys have seen Narnia, the evil witch, at one point she has this wand that can turn people to stone, turn anything to stone. And it was these people, I had a picture of these stone statues. And I felt like there are people here tonight that feel like they are stuck. That they're in this impossible situation. And then when I, when I just kept praying about these pictures, the next thing I realized was that the people in chains, their chains were actually unlocked. They weren't actually stuck. They just had to walk out of them. They just had to throw them down. And the people that were stone, or this image of them as statues, if you know in the movie and the books, um, Aslan, who's the image of Jesus, breathes on them, and they come alive again. So I, I feel like tonight that perhaps there are some people here who feel like they are stuck. And whether it's you feel like you've had a history of failure, or you're in this impossible situation that you can't get out of, And I feel like Jesus wants to say to you tonight, you are not stuck. And we have grace. We have so much grace in God. We have grace to say no to sin, but we also need grace to say yes to him. We need grace to say yes to his truth, yes to his promises. And sometimes that's a more difficult thing. Sometimes it's more difficult to say yes. So I wonder if we could spend some time praying. I don't know if there's anything else or anything you want to add, Stan. Are you fine?